in prayer. Living and loving God, as we reflect on your word to us in Scripture, may we hear what you are saying to the church. Take these words of mine and transform them by your Holy Spirit to be something that nourishes your people gathered here today. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. 178 years ago, there was an enormous dispute in the Church of Scotland. Now, Protestant Christianity has a bad habit of having enormous disputes. We tend to have arguments quite a lot of the time. But this dispute is of particular relevance to us here in Dunedin. At the 1843 General Assembly, this dispute came to a head. Nearly one-third of the ministers got up and walked out of the Church of Scotland and established the Free Church of Scotland, members of which established this church and founded this city that we are in. The dispute was an argument about authority, about who was in control of the church and who had the right to appoint ministers to congregations. Was it the congregation who could appoint their minister or was it the patrons, the local lords, the secular authorities? The free church ministers believed that the church should have the authority to arrange and order its life according to the word of God. And local landowners and local lords appointing ministers directly contravened, they believed, the church's authority. Within a few years, the free church set up and built churches and manses right across Scotland. And by 1848, they'd sent Thomas Burns to establish and lead the colony of Dunedin. And as a new settlement was established, there was much work that needed to be done. People were busy. They needed to establish crops so they could eat. They needed to build homes so they could shelter from the beautiful Dunedin weather. They needed to get settled. And there was a risk for them as they travelled across the seas, a risk that the busyness and the distance from home and that everything else that needed to be done could lead them to forget who they were. Mindful of this, mindful of this danger of forgetting, one of the first things that was done when those Scottish settlers arrived was a worship service, and then a prefabricated church building that was bought all the way from Scotland was built here in Dunedin. And this building quickly became the centre of the community. It was used for worship, for teaching, for public meetings and other such things. The church became the place where people who had travelled miles across the sea and who were far from home, a place where people gathered to remember who they were and to listen to the scriptures. Now, about 600 years before Jesus was born, Israel was conquered by the Babylonians. Their temple was destroyed, the place where they gathered to make sacrifices was torn down, and the people were carried off into exile. And ever since, 
the Jewish people have faced the same risk that people who relocate face. They faced the risk that they could forget who they were. So far from home, so far from the regular patterns, how would they continue to be the people of God? How would they continue to be faithful to God without a temple? How could they be God's people in a strange place? Just like those early settlers in Dunedin, the Jewish people gathered themselves together in groups. They formed organizations, they built buildings and gathering points to help them remember who they were. When they were in exile, whilst they were spread across the world in diaspora, the Jewish people began to develop what became known as the synagogue. At the synagogue, the people would gather. They would read the Old Testament scriptures. They would pray, and they would talk and study together the ways of God. They remembered the old songs, and they prayed the Psalms together. They couldn't do everything they used to do back in Israel, and so things changed. They couldn't sacrifice anymore because they didn't have a temple in which to sacrifice. And so Judaism became more and more focused on the word. Because there were no priests offering sacrifice, the leadership in the community changed. And the scribes began to play an increasingly important role, and they gained authority. Our translation that we had today says teachers of the law. Teachers of the law, scribes, rabbis are all terms for the same sort of leadership. These synagogues emerged wherever there were gatherings of Jewish people, including back in Israel. And the synagogue helped God's people remember, helped them remember who they were through the long years of exile, helped them remember who they were in the midst of a hostile world. It was a place where people went to learn and to relearn, to discover and rediscover their God and to learn what it meant to be God's people. And it was into one of these synagogues that Jesus led his new disciples, those people that he just called from the lakeside. He stood up in the synagogue and he began to teach. And as the people listened to Jesus, this Jesus who had just started proclaiming the nearness of the kingdom of God and gathering disciples, as they listened, they were amazed at what Jesus had to say. They were amazed, Mark tells us, because he taught as one with authority. Just as he finished teaching, there was a disturbance in the synagogue. There was a man with an unclean spirit, and he began to cry out in a loud voice, confronting and challenging Jesus. The demon speaks Jesus' name, which in this context was an attempt to try and exercise control over Jesus. If you could speak a demon's name, then you would have control over them. So the demon was trying to exercise control over Jesus. But in the face of this, Jesus calmly tells the unclean spirit to release the man. We read quite a few stories and similar episodes throughout the Gospels and Acts. It's quite a standard first century exorcism story. 
But the setting here is really important. And what else is said in the passage is really important. Jesus is in the synagogue. This is taking place in that institution that holds the memory of Judaism, the place where the scribes and the teachers of the law have the most authority. Jesus has gone into the house of the scribes, the place where they have had authority, and he has stood up and taught. Mark highlights that the crowds are amazed, not just because of his authority, but because of his authority compared to that of the scribes. And if there was any question about whether Jesus had authority, he demonstrates this with his victory over the demon. There's two different conflicts going on in this story. There's the first obvious conflict between the unclean spirit, between the demon and Jesus. And then there's a second conflict, not quite obvious, but it's the beginning of the conflict between Jesus and the scribes, between Jesus and the religious authorities. And the conflict with the demon helps us to understand the conflict with the scribes. Conflict arises because there's a question about the best approach to a situation. Or conflict arises because different people offer different solutions to a problem. Sometimes conflict arises because there's disagreement about which way is best to go next. Most of the time, conflict arises because there's a question about who holds authority in a particular situation. By trying to say Jesus' name, the demon was trying to gain authority over Jesus. And the conflict with the scribes is the same. This isn't to say the scribes are demons in disguise or anything. But there is a disagreement between the scribes about who has authority. Do the scribes have authority? Does their position in the synagogue or their practice of reading and writing out the law or their knowledge of the teachings of the rabbis and the traditions of the Jewish people, does that give them authority? Or does Jesus, who arrives and begins teaching and casting out demons, or does Jesus have authority? The conflict here in this passage is a conflict of authority. And the passage gives us a very clear answer. Jesus is the one who holds the authority. At the start of the gospel, Mark tells us that he's writing so that we can know that Jesus is the Son of God and hear the good news. In this reading, even the unclean spirit reminds us that Jesus is the Holy One of God. The passage underscores and makes it clear that Jesus is the one whose teaching carries authority. Now, every week, Churches around the world gather to worship. We gather and we read psalms, we pray, we listen to the scripture, we hear a sermon based on the passage, and churches celebrate baptism and communion. Churches have been following this pattern for 2,000 years, sometimes emphasizing one aspect of the service more than others, depending on where they are. And our patterns of worship don't come from the temple. 
They come from the practices that evolved in the synagogues. Our church, churches, are like a Christian version of the synagogue where people gather to hear the Bible, to pray, to sing, to worship, and to grow as God's people. And we do this. We do this gathering with a faith and confidence that Jesus makes himself present with us. Matthew 18 reminds us that when two or three gather in Jesus' name, he's with us. This means that just like those Jewish people in the synagogue at Capernaum 2,000 years ago, it means that Jesus is here with us and that Jesus speaks in the midst of this place with authority. Jesus speaks with an authority and declares that the kingdom of God is drawing near. He speaks with authority and calls us to come and follow. Jesus speaks with authority, and it's this word of Jesus that should shape our lives. This changed the synagogue. Rather than the tradition of the scribes being in charge, Jesus, the Lord, is in charge. And it changes things in the church. It's different from how we live in the world Rather than common sense, being in charge and having authority, or the way it's always been done, or good business practice, or reason, or the minister, or the elders being in charge. It's the teachings of Jesus that lead and shape and guide our life together. It's Christ who speaks with authority. This is why Paul used to write his letters by introducing himself as a servant of God and drawing attention away from himself and to the one who sends and who calls and who teaches, by drawing attention and pointing to Christ. Now, the scribes didn't dispute that God's word had authority. They didn't disagree that life should be shaped by God's teaching. They simply didn't believe that Jesus was God. They couldn't recognize him as God being present in their midst, and so they couldn't recognize his authority. In the long years of exile and being spread out in diaspora, they'd got used to the sense that God was off at a distance, and that God wasn't speaking anymore, and that God had gone silent. And so in this time, they began to rely on something else. They began to rely on the traditions. They began to develop ways of doing things and believed that these were the best ways. And they weren't quite prepared for God to show up and start speaking again. I wonder if we ever fall into the same trap. In our own lives, we have our ways of doing things and ways that we've learned, ways of dealing with challenges and coping with struggles. We have ways of celebrating. And sometimes we can get used to doing things in these ways and perhaps forget that God continues to speak to us today. And as church communities, whatever traditions we're following, whether they're Scottish ones or more recent ones, can we sometimes forget that God is still speaking to us and instead rely on our own ways of doing things? At the heart of the church's life is a conviction that God continues 
to speak. And God continues to speak to us through Scripture. And therefore, the words of Scripture, the teachings of the Bible, are the ones with authority. Not reason or tradition or the way that it's always been done. Instead, it's the living Word of God that we follow. Remember Isaiah 43. Do not consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing, says the Lord. The good news is that God makes himself known. God continues to speak. God has drawn near to us in Jesus Christ. And Christ is present with us now by the power of the Spirit. God gives us a witness in the Scripture so that we might hear his teaching. Pours the Spirit upon us so the Spirit will interpret these words to us so that we can hear God's teaching and follow God's ways. And the authority of this Jesus, the authority of our God, isn't like the authority of an unclean spirit that holds a man captive. It's not like the authority of an earthly king that wants to dominate or control or micromanage. The authority of Jesus is one that lays down his life so that others can live. One that goes to a cross and dies so that we can have life. We're called to listen to this Jesus, to follow in his ways and to obey his word. We won't always get it right. That's normal. In every time, in every age, the church and the individuals in the church will make mistakes as we read the Bible, as our reading of the Bible is coloured by the context in which we read it. In every age, we need to keep returning to the Bible because mistakes get made. It's precisely why we keep reading Scripture, so that we can continue listening to God as he calls us and guides us to receive the liberating message anew and to be led back onto the path of following Jesus. Friends, we gather in this place to hear God speak, to follow in God's ways. And so, with God's people around the world, let's do together what we're made to do. Let's join together in worshipping our God in spirit and in truth as we sing uh, the hymn, Alleluia, Sing to Jesus.